Hello and welcome to another episode of Wits End. And we are indeed at our Wits End today. My yeah. name is Jonathan Marshall, uh, pastor of Hope Baptist Church in Toledo. My name is George Antonios. I'm the pastor of Hope Baptist Church in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Oh my, <clears throat> and we, we, we are, we're having fun. We're, get, we're figuring it out. So what's weird about me, other than just, you know, the normal, is um, I'm in the car. And so the sound you hear in the background is rain on the roof of my car. Because I've got to figure out my schedule, what, what's happening. i got to be here and i got to be there. So we're kind of fitting it in here. And, uh, but we said we're going to jump in because the whole point of this podcast is to be a podcast. Uh, is, is to be a podcast, um, but it is to be a conversation between friends. And what was that verse again that you you uh, that you found and you thought it was a really cool idea for a podcast verse? Yeah, Daniel, it's in Daniel chapter eight, and the um, the prophet Daniel is listening in on a conversation. He says, "Then I this is uh, Daniel eight thirteen fourteen. <clears throat> then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake. So two guys are talking amongst themselves. Daniel is listening in, and uh, one asks the other, presumably Elijah and Moses, how long shall the vision how long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot? And he said unto me, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. So well, this is one of the main pieces of eschatology. And it's given to us through Daniel listening in on to two other guys talking. Mm. And so hopefully that's what podcasts do. You listen in on two guys talking, but there's something edifying in there. There's some revelation there that the Lord communicates. So I thought it was pretty cool. The Bible, every situation, pretty much you can find in the Bible. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I've, and what I've found in my life that where I've really learned is where I've been able to dialogue with someone. Um, I shouldn't say what I've really learned. Where I've been able to uh, be, I guess I would say sharpened and perfected. Um, hmm. Because, but I don't yes. mean to negate the the work of the pulpit or the work of, of teaching, um, but I guess there is such a thing as a didactic approach to learning, and that that's something that's very valuable, um, and the interaction. So that that's why we wanted to do a more of a conversational approach. And uh, George has a great idea for how we could um, how we could approach this thing, maybe for you know for the first for the foreseeable future, anyhow, uh, for the podcast. What's your idea? To simply dialogue through the Bible, so yeah, the the pulpit is, is necessary, and that like you know unidirectional way is great. But as you said, when the Bible talks about iron sharpening iron, I've always seen that in a dialogical context, you know, the context of two people talking or more. Uh, we're not going to go through verse by verse; it's not Bible Institute, uh, but it'd be fun to just talk through the Bible. Yeah, I told George, I said you're going to have to do most of the talking. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to listen, see what I can learn, but. Uh... Yeah, right. Like anybody believes that. Well, yeah. <laughs> even, if, yeah. <laughs> even, even if I don't have anything to say, I'm going to say something. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully I don't have too much to say. So we'll see how that goes. Okay, so where do you want to start? Well, we can. Uh, so, yeah, the idea also is to alternate, as we said, between uh, books of the Bible. It's kind of what I do at church, too, to keep it interesting. And uh, start at the beginning because uh, Genesis uh, sets the basis for everything else. Where uh, the first chapter of the book, Genesis, uh, we take an overall approach, but the first cha first couple of chapters are creation, obviously. Right. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And, you know, um, what, and, and, and yeah, go ahead. I was going to say the first thing that I think of whenever I, whenever I see that, um, 
the first thing that I think I want to make make sure that I don't lose you here when I when I transition because I'm on my phone. Can you still see me? I cannot see. You. Okay, all right. So that's the problem. But that's okay. that's the problem. All right. So you're gonna have to you're gonna have to take care of some of this stuff as far as um, you know the uh, actual um, verses. You have to read them because I don't have verses. I don't. I can't get to my uh, my app right now. Um, but so like, what does it say? The very first part there. The beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Heavens and the earth. Yeah. Yeah, or yeah. That so actually that's that's interesting because yeah, the Hebrew is plural there, Shamaim, but and some people would rather have it say heavens, but I don't think it's a mistake in here in the King James Bible because as you when you cross reference in the, in the New Testament, when the New Testament sends back to that verse a few times and it uses the heavens in the plural there. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of given to understand that whatever heaven existed there at the very beginning involved other heavens also mm. it's kind of global heaven. right right it's an encompassing heaven and that uh, that part to, when i think about in yeah. the beginning and that really is that really is the key um get, as far as god what god wanted us to know he said in the beginning now it wasn't the beginning of god because in the beginning god created so by the right. time the beginning began there was a beginner who began the beginning and without that beginner without the creator without the initiator there would be nothing to we would not know about anything there would be nothing there and i i see it all starts with god just like just like our individual lives the cosmology of the universe in, in the cosmological universe it all starts with god starts with God in our lives, starts with God in uh, in the universe. There's a, I'm trying to remember the guy's name, man, but he's a, he's actually a, one of the, uh, the, the uh, psychonauts, they call them, the guys that use psychedelics and kind of popularized that in the 60s and 70s. Yep. Um, and uh, he, he, uh, he said something that's pretty interesting as far as creation. He basically said that the scientific community who doesn't believe in God and believe in the Big Bang, their position is basically give us one free miracle and we'll explain all the rest, <laughs> which is the Big Bang being the the Big Bang free, being the free miracle, right? Where all the laws of physics are and all, all the energy and all the laws are instantaneously created out of nothing. We can't really explain it, but we'll take it and then we'll run with it. Uh, yeah. But you still have to explain how that came to be. And the Bible is very clear. It takes it for granted that the God has started off all that. And what's amazing about the, the Bible to me is that it doesn't go, it doesn't bend over backwards to try to prove the existence of God. It assumes the existence of God. And uh, because, because there is a God and why would it, why would it bend over backwards to try to do that? Now I understand apologetics are, they have their place. Uh, they're seeking to defend. And, you know, Paul gave a defense before Kings. And I think there is a place for that, but, if in your heart, sometimes I've sensed, and I don't know if, about you, but I've sensed with apologists sometimes that not not the most effective ones, but some of the ones that they kind of see apologetics as a way of like, um, please, please, please like me. I'm not stupid. Please, please believe me. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, we're not we're not idiots here. Yeah just listen to me. I'm not an idiot. Like they start from the defensive posture rather than saying, I'm going to make a proposition. They're always defending against the propositions of others. 
And I shouldn't say always. That's a big that's a big word, broad word. But I think sometimes guys they they start like if your faith is not in the word of God and you don't have you don't have a strong faith in God and his word, then you you can and I I got to I got to be thankful for the people that are doing this work out there. I do appreciate it. But Amen. but it all is going to come back to faith in these words that God put down. And how do you scientifically prove that those words are God's words? How do you prove that scientifically? I don't know that you can because we no one was there to observe it being written. All we have is a copy of a copy of a copy. And so it requires faith. It's almost as if God says, if you're going to trust in me, you're going to have to take what I said at face value. And if you won't, there's nothing I can do for you. I'll, I'll, he'll, he'll bring you in from all different kinds of avenues. But if you're not. Yeah, that's, yeah, I think it's a mixture of both. Yeah. But, it, but it all leads to faith in his word. Sure. Yes. Well, the. The Bible, you know, uh, takes for granted that the existence of God in Genesis, in, uh, in Genesis. Uh, but then in other passages in the scriptures, there is a case made for the existence of God, like in the Psalms, in the book of Job, in Isaiah, starting from chapter 43, something like that, 41 and on. There's like, you know, basically four chapters where God goes about proving his existence, as yeah. it were. Not that he needs to, but that, whole, that only happens like later on in the Bible. So that's a pretty balanced approach, I believe, just to copy the Bible, to not start off on the defensive. And if the case arises, then the apologetics have their place for sure, to always be always to, to, to be ready to give an answer. Uh, many have, people have been won over to Christ uh, through mm -hmm. apologetics. But you're absolutely right as far as the spirit in which this is approached. And uh, sadly, I think a lot of times, too, we, uh, the apologists hide behind things like, well, the Bible is not a scientific book and it wasn't meant to say things scientifically and um and and it, it uses exaggeration sometimes it uses hyperbole and you have to understand the context and all that kind of stuff which is well and good to a certain extent but there's no even need to go through that i can take my bible pretty literally pretty much everywhere and stand on very solid scientific ground just the mm -hmm. way it's written and i and i think that's one thing i've noticed about you uh george is that you you seem to um you, you draw from a lot of sources and you're open to a lot of things, which is great. But I think that the foundation of it all, the filter of it all is the words of the Bible. Like you, you're not going yes. to allow someone to take you too far beyond that. And you're willing to look stupid if you have to look stupid, if it means choosing the right. Bible over logic or over quote unquote facts. Yes. Fear of intellectual ridicule. I think some of us, including Christian scholars, but all everybody, uh, even the scientific community, which is why they push the crazy atheism and evolutionary uh, paradigm, including sadly now Andy, Andy Stanley has kind of uh, adopted the uh, theistic evolutionary. Really? Movement. I hadn't heard that. The, the son of Charles Stanley. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, he's militant really? about it. Not just like mentioning Man, it. His father yes. is hardly, hardly yeah, got in the influence. And off he goes. Well, he had begun... He had begun a while ago by, by saying uh, one of his early statements was let's unhitch Christianity from the Old Testament. And then it became, <clears throat> he got influenced by Sam Harris, actually, according to his own testimony, something Sam Harris said. And then he went to uh, the, the, the uh, solid ground of our assurance 
in, uh, in the gospel is not the veracity of the Bible, but rather it's an event. It's not the scripture. It's the event of the resurrection. Which kind of begs the question, you wouldn't know about the resurrection if it wasn't for the authority of the scriptures to begin with. But, but I think a lot of time, the reason why we end up there is fear of intellectual ridicule. I don't know if you remember, uh, Billy Graham, Charles Templeton, that's it. There was Billy Graham, Charles Templeton, and George Beverly Shea, who's Canadian, I like to remind people. Uh, you know, the trio. Charles Templeton was a great preacher along by the side of Billy Graham. I don't know if you remember this, but he kind of turned, walked away from God, adopted evolution, and wrote a book. Something I think it's called Farewell yeah. to God. And and the difference between him and Billy Graham, according to Billy Graham's testimony, is he, he says he kind of faced the same kind of um, issue. And Billy Graham went outside one night with his Bible and then looked up to the stars. And he basically said, Lord, I'm, you know, I don't know about all that stuff, but here's what I do know. I'm going to believe that book. You know, and that's like a childlike faith. And from there on, Billy Graham, just the Lord used him mightily, and Charles Templeton is a footnote in the history. <clears throat> so I don't mind looking stupid. We have to, Paul says, if any man uh, seem to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. We don't have to look intelligent. We don't have to look scientific. We, ha we have to engage a scientific community for sure, and we have to show that we have a solid basis for our faith, absolutely. But temper that with, if you're going to look stupid sometimes, and the Lord will let you look stupid sometimes, it's not, it's foolish in the eyes of the world, but it's not real foolishness. So if the Bible says that there's a big red dragon, that's Satan, I don't feel the need to see that's only to say that's, well, that's just allegorical. I have no problem at all believing that there's a parallel dimension, a spiritual world in which Satan looks exactly like a big red dragon. And the, the weird thing is now is that even the lost people have, are coming to a place where they believe in aliens existing in a parallel dimension, but they'll call them aliens instead of angels. So really, the scientific community, the atheist one, is is believing the same thing we're believing, but in different words. Right. So when you mentioned Graham and Templeton, um, I remember hearing that same story. In fact, I had an opportunity um, several years ago. My sister lives in, in um, Charlotte. And so I went down, I had a chance to go and see the uh, the museum. And it's got a, a, I think it's, yeah, the Billy Graham Museum. And um, it's worth seeing. If you ever go through Charlotte, it's really cool. And if you're a hypersensitive critic and you you believe only you know how exactly it to be done and you and your two pastor friends that agree with you, um, then yeah. then you probably are not going to enjoy it. But if you could say, here's somebody that's preaching the gospel, and all you have to do is listen to Graham. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a big, huge Graham backer in the sense that I agree with everything. I, I don't even know everything that he said, what I've read with him, you know, what he said about... Um, you know, I think he had some difficulties with hell, things like that, blah, blah, blah. I think I think there's some things that were concerning with him. But what happened is as he got bigger and bigger, the pressures got greater and greater. And people started saying, hey, do sure. you believe are you with us or are you not with us? So he ended up kind of like in one sense, one place, he ended up like Joel Osteen, where Larry King pinned him to the wall. Like, what do you believe? Do you believe that somebody doesn't does this not saved is going to hell? So I think it happened to Graham, too. But you, you've got to step back and say, look at how God used that man. And I think God used him because of the very thing that you said. He put his Bible on the stump and he said, God, I'm going to accept your word like I accepted you by faith. And the Lord, that, the very next thing that happened, I was in like middle California, somewhere in central California. And then he ended up down in L.A. And that was a breakout campaign in 19... 50 something 50 
53, hmm. 54, something like that. Early 50s, yeah, and the early 50s. That's yeah. where they they had started the crusade, and then it continued going for weeks and weeks and weeks. And uh, a bunch of people got saved. Like that guy, Stuart Hamblin, got saved, who wrote um, a bunch of gospel songs. He was kind of a cowboy actor. And yeah. then Louis Zamperini got saved at that crusade. He was the guy from uh, Unbroken, the uh, the runner from the 1936 Olympics. He got saved in that one and, and other, oh. you know, big name people, whatever. But yeah, I think, I, I think when you're afraid to be wrong, then if you're afraid to be wrong, then you sometimes make stuff up so that you don't have to look right. stupid. And would you rather be stupid or would you rather be truthful? If you had to choose, that's not right. Stupid and truthful or maintain your image and be untruthful to look cool and be wrong or to look stupid and be right. You know, if you had to make a choice, which one would yeah. you do? And, and I think sometimes I've seen in my life where people are saying, really, really? And they're pressuring you. Like, you really believe that? You really think that's what that is? And right. if you're willing to say, yeah, I do. I believe that. Even even if you're wrong, that takes more integrity to own what you actually believe than yes. to change it based on peer pressure. Yes. And I don't think you should yes. be wrong. Absolutely. You should get Agreed. you should try to find out what's right. No. But Yes. Yeah, no, agreed. And uh, um so there's a, yeah, so I when I mentioned Billy Graham it of course it doesn't mean that, of course, we uh, thank you for clarifying that well, we uh, sign on to everything. Well, no, the days. only reason why I say that but, uh, is because you're, you're, of the yahoos. I know people love to. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I know you're clarifying <laughs> it to, to the audience. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's why I'm glad you said that. Uh, we're talking about just uh, believing the book. But yes, he definitely later on became ecumenical yeah. and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so there's there's something I also I've, I've been I'm almost I think I'm going to do a Bible study on it or do a video on it. it it's uh one of the arguments you mostly hear, since we're talking about the heaven and the earth, about a life kind of spontaneously generating on its own over up there in space is, um, I you know, I remember family members telling me this and hearing this all my life, is that they'll look at the vastness of space and they'll say there's so many stars out there and uh, the odds are very high that something would have happened, that life would have generated um, on its own over there. <laughs> but... Um, the number of stars is actually not enough to offset the odds against life, believe it or not, because just the ways like uh, uh, I know we're getting like into like details here, but just the ways that proteins fold, there's something called the Leventhal uh, uh, paradox where the, pro the, the proteins, which are basically the building blocks of your body, the machines of your body, just the way they fold, they have to fold, they can fold in, in 300 different particular ways to be able to function. And the odds of a, of a single protein folding the right way, one protein folding the right way, is far greater than the number of known stars in the universe. So that whole argument about there's so many stars, so it's got to have happened, is actually a false mathematical argument to begin with. But people hear that stuff, and it sounds smart, and they go on, and they go on with it. So there, it's much easier, it has been said often, just to believe. At the end of the day, we're both facing the same issue. We have to explain right. the beginning. So you have to... to you can have three possibilities there. Either there's a personal God that created the whole thing. Or if you say, well, the Big Bang started it all, that's still a beginning of, you still have to explain how that all the energy and all the, the laws came to be in an instant out of nothing. 
or you say that the universe was always there. But then if the universe is always there, you have to offset that with the fact that it's decaying and you get into a whole mess of problems. There's just no way to escape it, that somebody must have engineered everything that's around us. And uh, that's God, infinite power, uh, infinite knowledge, infinite mm. wisdom, infinite presence. Uh, just a quick note for you and those that are watching, you see this. Brother George has a show going on in the background. Maybe it's just a, a screensaver at this point. Is, and maybe it's locked in. Okay, yes. good. So we can leave it. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, it's it's a, it's just a screensaver of like a nice oh. library. Um, but it's on YouTube. It's supposed to run in eleven hours. But if some ad comes on, I'm not responsible. <laughs> is that is that my library? Probably have to pay for the expensive. You have there. <laughs> yeah, you wish. Uh, eh? <laughs> you know, speaking of libraries, I was in a library once in Dublin, Ireland, and it was phenomenal. It was, uh, they had the Book of Kells there. You ever heard of the Book of Kells? It's like, it's an illuminated manuscript no. from the Middle Ages. And they used to do this. Uh, oh, okay. It yes. was from like some yeah. monastery. I don't know where. Uh, but it was unbelievable. And, and uh, that, that, that library was just like three stories of books. I don't even know how many. Wow. And it was all in this huge atrium where it's going up the side. You can see. There's a level up there. There's a level up there. And it's just books, books, books. And they're all ancient, old books. I was like, man, I think I died and went to heaven. <laughs> man, I would love to. I've been telling my wife wants to go to the south. I'm like, let's go to Ireland. She's like, what? <laughs> or Scotland. I'd well, love I'd to go there. Well, I'll tell you what, too. Um, Scotland <laughs> is awesome. Because, you know, you go to, like, um, you know, various, whatever, various places. One thing about Scotland is at least that I noticed right off the bat, was there's so much of the Bible everywhere, like over doorways, in mm. monuments, excuse me, um, in stained glass. And because of the Presbyterian influence there, it's not uh, Roman Catholic everything. Yeah, It's like from the scripture. So right. like okay. one of the churches like near Sterling Castle where, um, where, where King James was born, um, it's got... This in the stained glass, it's got you know Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, evangelists, and then it's got like other you know, Moses with the Ten Commandments, stuff like that. It's not all this uh, iconography from church medieval, you know, Saint Francis of Assisi and stuff like that. It's all scriptural, and um, Saint Francis of Assisi. <laughs> that would that would be my patron saint. Would be Saint Francis of Assisi. How do you say it? How do you pronounce it? Assisi. Assisi. <laughs> I thought you were making. No, that's how I've always heard it joke. pronounced. But hey, listen, <laughs> if you're going to laugh at me for that, I'm going to laugh at you for Gray. No, but he <laughs> may have been exactly that, though. Billy, judging Billy by his Graham. writings. <laughs> so anyhow, um, so yes, what 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 you were saying? I was going to comment on. Um, how do we get on that Dublin, Ireland library? Oh, yeah. Okay, forgive me. Um, back to what you were saying about the word yeah. and um, accepting accepting the fact that there was a creator at the beginning. Um, because otherwise, what's what's your alternative? Your alternative is, you know, the, the universe has always been here. And with the decaying universe, you understand that if it was, you know, how, how could it be infinitely better? If it, it, it had to start decaying at some point, that means it's it was not decayed uh, b before that. And... Um, Right. You know, so in other words, there's a way in which it was it should have been. 
And that's why people worship the creation, because it's something solid they can see. But the problem with that, of course, is that it decays, it deteriorates. And so they had to, you know, they had to put cables around the rock of Gibraltar to, you know, the, the great rock that's yeah. symbolizes strength and enduring uh, principles. Yeah. Really? Um, I got to write that down. I didn't know. Yeah. That. I, I mean, it's, it, it's just like that's pretty uh, cool. everything else that man touches. You know, I, ever, have you ever thought about, I know they had a lot of uh, Native Native Indian, whatever Americans, that's what we call them here, Native Americans in our in our area, um, lots of them. And it's interesting to me to think, to whenever you read some stuff from the old chiefs, what they would say, and how over, you know, they lived for decades, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years, and their mindset, without all of the modern contrivances of civilization, their mindset about the changing of seasons, like when you're living outdoors most of your life and you know, how much more do you pick up on? We don't have electric light. Uh, we don't even have candles. How much more of creation and the earth do you pick up on and the cycle of nature that God put there summer, winter, you know, heat and cold and, and the kind of things that you're being taught by the earth when you live in those in those types of societies. And uh, we're so far removed from that, we can entertain all kinds of hypothetical ideas because we don't have to face the consequences of those ideas. We don't have to actually be, you know, one-to-one -one with That's data. That's point, yeah. You know, we can, we can live in our heat and cooled, heated and cooled houses and get on the internet and watch somebody like us, you know, spouting ideas. Yeah. But when you're in the dirt, when you're trying to get right. food... Where the works, the works of men are... You're every you're surrounded by the works of yes. men all around you. You know, you look at the sky, sky rise and and the highways and the computers, and we're indoors. So you're you're seeing the work of men constantly. So it's easy to get into the fall into the position where man is right. is God. <clears throat> but you're, when you're out in nature, that's why farmers tend to be more religious. I think they're just more in contact it's with a, nature. It's a really interesting point. Um, and 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 have you ever heard this claim? I've heard it before, and I've never heard it disproven. That They've never, they never discovered a civilization, what we might call an uncivilized civilization. What would you call that? Um, yeah, yeah, that didn't believe in God. That Some didn't. That weren't God. religious. Yeah. And right. Yeah, I, that, I've never particularly checked that point, but I mean, I've read a lot about that kind of stuff because it really interests me, and mm -hmm. I can't think of one. And and so the answer would be, well, it. it well, the reason that, that's what's so interesting to me about about how man contradicts himself. So the noble savage, you know, the return of civilization to simple things to it takes a village to that's what our goal is. Like we're supposed we're supposed to do that. But also, yeah, it's stupid to believe in God. It's intellectually inferior to believe in God. So how do you how do you keep those those contrasting opinions? Those they cancel each other out. One says go back to back to primitive civilization because that's where uh, man can be real but if you go back there you're coming to a very religious society and and we might say superstitious but it's because they are one to one with nature they're saying if I do this that happens if I don't do that it won't happen like I've got to pray for the rain I've got to offer sacrifices right. my kids sick you know they're very religious and um, 
also any anybody there there's a german i think it's a philosopher 20th century he basically wrote a paper about how um i forget what party or whatever maybe the nazis or whatever it was but he basically was showing that atheist organizations function like a religion everybody's religious mankind is religious by nature that's why there's you know the dna the the, the god gene they were talking about the god gene a few years ago any you know if you look at covid how we treated covid there was basically what whatever side of the spectrum you fell on uh it was like a religion so religion uh, um atheism functions just like a religion um so here let me, for example let me just try to pull it out in my notes um there's a there's a creation myth right like if you if you say that the bible is a if you say that the Bible is a creation myth, then religion has its own creation myth. There's the Big Bang. We can't really prove it, but that's, we believe, how it started. It's God, atheism has its own gods. It's nature, chance. It has its own Bible, as it were, a founding document, which is Charles Darwin's On the Origin of Man. Uh, it has its own mythical creatures, like the Cro-Magnon Man and Neanderthal Man, Homo erectus and Cavemen and, you know, Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and things like that. It's got its own prophets. You know the the big names: Charles Darwin, uh, Thomas Paine, Albert Huxley, J. You know Gold, Dawkins, Hawkins. Now Sam Harris. It's got its own priests. To be your average college professor who, you know, fear intellectual ridicule more than Chinese torture. Uh, it's got its own religious institutions like uh, universities, colleges, and schools where that stuff is pumped into the people. It's got its own purpose. So the purpose in an evolutionary world is survival of the species. That's where every that's the guiding principle. It's got its own judgment, and the judgment in, in an evolutionary setup would be the extinction of the species, which evolution is trying to avoid. <clears throat> it's got its own soteriology, which is this, that the salvation of man will come from man's own evolutionary progress and scientific advancement. It claims absolute truth by simply stating that there is no God, which is a, a statement requiring absolute knowledge. Uh, it, and then atheist atheism often will labor with religious zeal to enlighten the benighted masses to kind of bring them out of ignorance, the religious ignorance, into the knowledge of atheism. So what you're doing is you're proselytizing. You are, the way you know that atheism is a religion is because it fights in the same battlefield as religion because it fights for the hearts and minds of the people seeking to proselytize. So by sheer fact of being on the same battlefield, trying to win over the same people, you testify to yourself that you are a player in the religious arena. And so... The, but the, the only thing is that the atheist replaces God with another God, often his own brains or uh, or another man's brains. But that's why communist uh, societies, which are atheistic, always end up being totalitarian. Because in a, in a, when God is not in the picture, then you have a vacuum, and nature holds a vacuum. And so man comes in, and he fills the vacuum, and man becomes divine, and your government becomes divine. So we are religious. That's inescapable. Where, where, whoever you are, the, just the, the need to believe in something deeper, the need to believe that you have meaning, the need to believe that you, have a, uh, that you are uh, a morally good person, all these things are religious sentiments. It's inescapable. And, wh and why, would you, why would someone push back against that concept? Um, why would they say, no, 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 I'm not religious, I'm not religious, I'm not? Why? What's... What's the big, fat, hairy deal? It's because both sides claim that they, they have knowledge, true knowledge, of the origin of man 
the presence, the present of man and the future of man. And they both, both of them claim that they're right and they have two vastly different conclusions. And so they're both, one side is saying, there is no God. You don't need a God. You don't need anything except yourself. Well, oh, and we need, we also need you to believe us. We're going to need you to believe us because we're absolutely true and right. We, what we say is right. That's on the, on the atheist side, on the scientific side. Right. Which is, which is equivalent to saying, right. We are God. Right. Because, and that's where I see, where's the humility? So, So there is a God. Where's the humility that says, I will take more data. And, and this is a question for you, um, George. Are are we as I think there's there's a an accusation that's made as as Bible believers, and even in broad sense of Christianity, that we are narrow minded and we will not accept any new information. There's nothing more that can be factored into our equation, and that's why we're narrow minded because we've already arrived at at, at a point. What would you say to that? When I graduated from high school, the the motto of the of the high school, we got a little trophy thing, and said the purpose of uh, education is to replace an empty mind with an open mind, <clears throat> which is kind of cool. It sounds good, and there is there is some value to that. But our contention is, yeah, we want to have an open mind, but an open mind is also likely to have garbage dumped into it. So there has got to be some kind of filtering process to any intelligent human being as to what he acknowledges as as valid information or whatnot. Um, are we close to how can the Christian be accused of that when the scientific civilizations have been Christian civilizations? Why is it that scientific advancement in the world came from Christian nations? And I use Christian loosely, but nevertheless, they were Christian nations. You know, because the, the, the scientists, even in the Middle Ages, uh, at least claimed to believe the Bible, claimed to believe in God, and they, they began to observe nature, and they began to learn about nature, and they applied the scientific method and came up with great things. So our very civilization is the fact that we're using this technology is a testimony that we're not close to bringing so in what, information and learning about the world. What's the That's distinction one. there? B, like, why did they, why did... Between you're saying they were not narrow-minded, which is evidenced by the fact that they they in, they they sought and discovered, they they searched for things. So Correct. what's the distinction? What right? And I think it's a, I think it's uh, I think it's a point that is backed by evidence. I really do. Um, but what I'm asking is, what's the alternative? What's the flip side of that? How do you know the guys at at Google discover things and um, they. It, well, it, it's basically like two people studying a machine. They both want to discover how the machine works. And when one of them discovers that it's a machine, so you take the evaporation cycle as a, as a good illustration, the water cycle, okay? The, the argument today is, well, it's not God that causes it because we understand the water cycle. That's kind of the argument. So you see the process, you see how it, how it works, evaporation, transportation, condensation, precipitation, the rivers run back into the sea, and you've got a closed cycle. Now, if, so you're both. So you got the Christian studying it, the believer studying it, and the non-Christian studying it. The non-Christian sees that, and he, he he concludes, well, there it is. It's functioning on its own, so it's not God that's making it rain. Uh, the the Christian is also studying it and discovering about it, 
But he concludes, look at this, it's a closed cycle. Uh, it's, it's brilliantly engineered, so there must be an engineer. And both should come to that conclusion because of the, of the facts. But the, the, uh, the Christian is willing to give God the glory and recognize that that's somebody engineered this. Whereas the, uh, the atheist really is dishonesty as to the, the conclusion that you derive mm. from observing such a phenomenon. So it, it, what, what science has done, and they've sold this to kids in school constantly, it's the, this idea is that, well, we can explain the process. Okay, so here it is. There's the evaporation cycle. So it's not God making it rain. Well, the Bible never claimed that God magically makes it rain. The Bible basically presents God with things like that as an engineer. An engineer builds a system. We, we build systems that, that, you know, like a perpetual motion system. Okay. Uh, an engineer builds a perpetual motion system. He presses on and then the, the system works and it's in, it's in perpetual motion. But just because the system works and you can identify the parts and the mechanics and the dynamics of it doesn't mean that somebody does, didn't design it. So what, you're, what, what they're doing is you're describing a machine that the engineer put in place. That's actually a testimony that there is an engineer. It, it's not like God has to, every time it rains, do some kind of sprinkle dust magic. It's he set up a system that works on its own, presses play, and then sits back and watches it. And whenever he wants, he can interfere interfere into that system That's and cause things that are a little different. Um, so a system for the atheist implies no God, but a system for the honest mind implies a system engineer. Well, that, it's a, I began thinking about a magician when you said that, because you were talking about magic. And so let's let's just say, so you figured out how the magic trick works. Does that mean there's that there's no magician? Right. Well, no. Correct. Somebody That's had to come excellent. up with the magic. Exactly. Trick. Like, so it's not magic. Okay. So you understand it. Right. Okay. So that means it's always been right. like, no, there's no magic trick without a magician. And what we're saying about the right. fourth word in the Bible, that's what it comes down to. In the beginning, God. Without that fourth word, you are... So So what they're saying is, um, you know, a, a, an evolutionist, an, an atheistic scientist, he's saying, or a uh, hypothetician, whatever you want to call him, um, they're saying we, our mind is open. It is all the way open, except it can include God. So it's like this, but we... We open the door all the way, but God right. is not can is not a possibility. Why? Because we know how it works, so it means there's no God. So basically, what you're saying is, um, we will not include that uh, as part of the possibility, possible uh, reasons, possible origin stories. Okay, so let's say, is who's more narrow-minded? I'm willing to entertain. I'm willing to entertain all of it including God and all the rest of the stuff. Now, am I biased because I believe that God is the one? Well, prob probably you would call me narrow-minded, biased, bigoted, whatever. But isn't it true that we should look at what is most logically the answer? And if you've already predetermined that God cannot be one of the possible answers, then how are you more open-minded than I am? I'm willing to in include even more. Right. That's, yeah. So you're starting with the with the premise that there is no God. And of course, your conclusion will be that there is no God. Uh, it's like my, I have a, 
my cousin Joel, uh, Joel Antonio, he's a neurosurgeon at David Geffen Medical School in Yale. And he tells me uh, he's out of California. And I know what you're thinking. Can any good thing come out of California? And the answer is yes, my, my cousin did. And uh, he says the Communist Manifesto's got two stipulations in it. One, there is no God. And two, I hate God. Which is, you know, I thought <laughs> you can't hate someone that doesn't exist. But by the way, all this we're discussing, we are actually we're taking for granted that we have explained um, a lot of natural phenomena. But the reality of it, if you come down to it, science has not fully explained a single natural phenomenon, including the water cycle. There's things we still don't know about it. Not one. There is nothing that science has fully explained. So this is not often we're accused of being the god of the of using the God of the gaps argument that by saying, oh, see, you can't figure it out. So it must be God. And they'll say, well, we haven't figured it out yet, but we will just like we figured out other things given enough time, we'll have an explanation for everything, but nothing has been figured out completely to this day. We don't know how, you know, how we can skate on ice, how a solid on solid can cause you to skate. And that's what not do you mean? I never heard that. some kind of cheap Christian argument that I'm using. This is, yeah, there's no explanation to it. We, there's still a huge debate over like the most basic things like, why ice, ice skates work um i forgot what the name of the uh, cartoon uh crandall munro he's got a cartoon he's got like a stick figures and he's got and he's a physicist and he's got one physicist telling others i'll be honest that we physicists talk a big game about the theory of everything but the truth is we don't really understand why ice skates work how sand flows or where the static charge comes from when you rub your hair against a balloon and this is something that was put forward richard Feynman was a he's like Albert Einstein, number two, and he's a Jewish American theoretical physicist who won the Nobel Prize, <clears throat> I think, in '65. So, and uh, if there's a famous story interview, you can go and watch it. Uh, so he's he's asked uh, he's asked a question about why magnets repel and attract. And what what he says is he tells the interviewer he says it's an excellent question, and I'll quote. He says, "But the problem you see when you ask why something happens, how does a answer? How does a person answer why something happens?" For example, Aunt Minnie is in the hospital. Why? Because she went out and slipped on the ice and broke her hip. That satisfies people. It satisfies, but it wouldn't satisfy someone who came from another planet and knew nothing about why when you break your hip, you go to the hospital. How did you get to the hospital when the hip is broken? Well, because her husband, seeing that her hip was broken, called the hospital and sent someone. All that is understood, all that is understood by people. And when you explain the why, you have to be in some framework that allows you, that, that you allow something to be true. Otherwise, you're perpetually asking why. Why did the husband call up the hospital? Because he's interested in his wife's welfare. Not always. Some husbands aren't interested in wife's welfare. So I, I let's follow his thinking. It's going to get into the scientific in a second. So he says, and you begin to get a very interesting understanding of the world and all its complications. If you try to follow anything up as to why the physics of anything, like ice skates and water cycle, he says you go and why magnets repel and attract. He says you go deeper and deeper in various directions. Okay, why did she slip on the ice? Well, ice is slippery. Everybody knows that. Why is ice slippery? So Feynman says, well, that's kind of curious. Ice is extremely slippery. It's very interesting. You say, how does it work? You could either say, I'm satisfied that you've answered me, but you can go on and say, well, why is it slippery? And then it's very hard to get greasy stuff, but that's, you know, it, it's wet and slimy, so you can slip on that. But a solid that's so slippery? And then he says, because it is. In the case of ice, when you stand on it, they say momentarily the pressure melts the ice a little bit, so you get a sort of instantaneous water surface on which you're slipping. But why does that happen on ice and not on other things? Well, because water expands when it freezes, so the pressure tries to undo the expansion and melts it. It's capable of melting, but there are other substances get cracked and they're freezing. 
And when you push them, they're satisfied to be solid. So listen to this. Why does water expand when it freezes and other substances don't? He said, and he tells the interviewer, I'm not answering your question, but I'm telling you how difficult the why question is. You have to know, listen to what he's, Feynman says, atheist guy. You have to know what it is that you're permitted to understand and allowed to be understood and known and what it is you're not. You'll notice in this example, the more I ask why, the deeper a thing is, the more interesting it gets. We could go even further and say, why did she fall down when she slipped? It has to do with gravity. It involves all the planets and everything else. And it goes on and on and on. And so when he, about the magnets, he says, all I can say is that the magnetic force makes them repel and that you're feeling that force. And then he tells the interviewer, well, you say that's strange because I don't feel a kind of force like that in other circumstances. And then he, he tells him, he says, he tells the interviewer, he says, when you push a chair, we don't, so you push a chair, we don't know. It's the same magnetic force at work. The fact that you can put your hand against a chair and push the chair and it moves, it's the same basic kind of force. And just as we don't know how magnets exactly function, we still don't know how is it that you can push a chair. Hmm. I mean, this is Richard Feynman saying that. And so he tells him at the end, I can't explain that attraction in terms of anything else that's familiar to you. And so he says, I would end up explaining that in terms of electrical forces, which are the very things that I'm trying to use, uh, you know, the rubber bands to explain. So I have created, I have cheated very badly. I'm not going to be able to give you an answer as to why magnets attract each other, except to tell you that they do. I could tell you that the magnetic forces are related to the electrical forces very intimately, that the relationship between the gravity forces and electrical forces remains unknown and so on. But I really can't do a good job, any job of explaining magnetic force in terms of something else you're more familiar with, because I don't understand it in terms of anything else that you're familiar with. And then later people can go watch the interview with Richard Feynman. He basically says this, he says, at the end of the day, when you start asking like why things work, the most basic questions like why pushing a chair causes it to move? He says, you get to a point where you're looking down a deep abyss and you begin to lose your mind because you reach a limit where you just don't understand really fundamentally how anything works. And, the, and I know some people will have a problem with that, but here's the practical proof. And I'll close with this, uh, the point, I know it was a long point, but here's the practical proof that we don't really fundamentally know how anything works. It's this, <clears throat> is describing something like the evaporation cycle is one thing, but if you really know how it functions, you can recreate it out of nothing. And that we cannot do for anything. We can't recreate any natural phenomenon out of ex nihilo, out of nothing. We cannot, we can't produce it. That's why you have guys like uh, uh, Ray Comfort going around asking university professors, well, can you produce a rose out of nothing? And they find it like a strange question, but it makes a lot of sense. If you can, if you can, if you understand how things work, recreate it. Don't just explain it. We still have a hard time causing it to rain. We can like, you know, seed dust, uh, um, seed the clouds a little bit, but nobody quite understands. We can't completely replicate anything. So science hasn't explained anything fully, not one thing, not one thing. Not fully, not down to the fundamental level, because we don't know how the universe works at all in anything. I can't stress that enough. Nobody knows how the water cycle truly works. My, my cousin told me, he's with the Lord now, he died at 24. He told me a joke about the scientists uh, got together and they approached God and they said, we've got this figured, God. Uh, we've been here long enough. We've been studying. We know how uh, reality works and the world works. So thank you for taking care of us, uh, but we're good to go on our own from now on. And God basically tells him, I'll tell you what, if you can recreate a man out of dust like I did, then I'll know you're adults and I'll leave you to it. 
And the scientists said, yeah, no problem, we can do that. We know how to do that. So the scientists got together and they started getting their, their clay together, their dust, uh, to do their, their process. And then the Lord interrupts him and says, <laughs> hey, hey, what are you doing? Go get your own dust. If you can't create it, like the Big Bang created it, then you don't understand it. If you understood it, you could recreate it. And, and what's amazing is that even in the area of procreation, um, God allows us to be involved with him in his work of creation. But I tell people, I've said for years, I get talking to the home builders, young people, young married classes, you know, stuff like that. And I would say, you know, we're pretty smart, but I have no idea how to create an ear. Like, we think those are my kids. Well, my kids, as in, number one, I never, I never made any, I mean, I was involved in the process of bringing together what God set up. I was I was involved in that. God made it pleasurable, and 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 why? Because maybe it never would have happened if it wasn't pleasurable. I don't know, but the the idea that somehow I can make a human being—who do I think I'm kidding? I have no idea. So even in the procreation, in in the act of creation of life, uh, mankind is blissfully ignorant. Emphasis on bliss, right? We have no idea what's going on. No clue whatsoever. And yet somehow we think, yeah, those are my kids. You know, that's my life. It's, it's a very, and, and I was saying, that's why the fourth word of the Bible, God, and the next one, created. It tells us God is in charge. God is not man. And then created. And he spoke it into existence. And so who am I to stand here and say, Oh, I, I see what you're doing, God. I see what you're doing. It's like the like the magicians in Pharaoh's court. Speaking of magicians, you know, what do they do? They had to have a miracle. That's right. They... Sorry about that. We're back. Oh, it's right. So, yeah. Um, they had to have something to, to Im imitate and duplicate. So it's like people who deconstruct. Yeah, right. And when it, when it came to the lice, they couldn't do that. They couldn't go from inorganic to organic. They went, they, they, there was a, a level where they stopped. They, they just couldn't, right. they didn't even try. Right. They, they hadn't reached that point yet. And I yeah. think in some ways, that's what it means to trust. That's what, I mean, not in some ways. I think that's the foundational. Him that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently oh, seek him. Diligently seek him. Not rewarder of, of them that diligently find their own path. Like you're you're gonna you're gonna have mm. to humble yourself to God. And that was the original problem with Satan to begin with. He wasn't willing to say, God's God, I'm not. I'm not God. He wasn't okay with being less than God. Amen. He wanted that top that top thing. Uh, mm -hmm. that top place and so what did he offer to adam it, he offered to adam and eve you know first to eve but it was the very that very thing that he most desired to be as god knowing good and evil and his desire was to not dominate god per se but to be equal with god because yeah, he no. would know that equality with god in his mind 
I'm not trying to overthrow God. I'm not trying to get rid of God, but I'm just as much God as he is. I'm just as much what, and that you'll find that there's a, in your heart, mm. if you find yourself equivocating, saying, no, 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 I'm not trying to overthrow. I'm not trying to overthrow. That's good. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to, I just want to know, he's not better than me. Yeah. You know what, actually what you're saying too, I have to, I have to actually go, sadly, in, in a few minutes, pick up my yeah, car. Yeah, same here. But what you're, no, what I you're, leave you, George, you don't leave me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Is this a fake what you, what, yeah, I'm sorry. Is this a fake hang up? Hello? I'm just kidding. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, by the way, I, uh, that's a good illustration on the procreation, how God uses us, but he's doing the works. So I've, I've written that down. <clears throat> but what you're saying, lest people think that what you're saying is not necessarily accurate. It is uh, biblically. It is because the Isaiah 14, where, where uh, the Lucifer says, I will ascend them, you know, I will ascend to the sides of the north and I'll exalt myself, uh, sit in the, uh, you know, above the, above the, the, the stars. Yep. Um, that there is actually future. That hasn't happened. We read into it, Lucifer, in the past, but that's actually the Antichrist on earth exalting himself above the stars. And you find a match of that in Daniel 8. So it's quite possible that what the devil wanted to do at the very beginning is just to be equal, not necessarily overthrow. Um, well, so and he said, good... I will sit also. I will sit also um, in the, uh, in this, whatever. What does he say? I will sit also among the, on the throne. I can't remember now. My, I'm not remembered exactly. Um, but he didn't say, I want to replace God. And, and, and because that's, that would be foolish for him. I mean, it's foolish to begin with, but anyhow, that's something we could talk about next time because I'm really excited about uh, next time when we talk about the second verse, the spirit of God moved um, and the earth is out foreign void and darkness on the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters that concept right there we'll have to spend a little time on that but this has been a in my mind this has been a, a, a very an educational informative thing for me um because you're bringing a lot to the table on this one i, I appreciate it uh y'all it's fun so, so yeah right out of the first verse in the beginning god created the heaven and the earth uh, atheism is uh, is kind of disproved because there's there's god polytheism is disproved disproved because there's one god doing that a deism where God does not reveal himself because he is revealing himself. Uh, he does so through creation too. Pantheism is disproved where that says the universe is God because God and his creation are separate. And yep. then evolution is disproved because it's it's a creative act as we'll, we'll go on to see, Lord willing. Yes. Well, guys, I wanted to let you know um, you can reach out to us if you're interested uh, at witsendguys at gmail.com. Witsendguys at gmail.com. Send us your questions, your comments. Um, and, uh, we will do our best to, to interact with you on that. Um, George has been a great, this has been a great uh, discussion. Yeah, that was fun. I really enjoyed that. I love the Bible's great. Yeah. Well, like we used to say when I was teenagers, there's some good verses in there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So you guys take care. Uh, George, we look forward to uh, talking with you next time. And until next time, God bless you. Keep on keeping the faith. And uh, if you're at your wit's end, you're at a great place. Look up to God, call out to him, and he will answer. That's good. Amen. God bless you, God.